7. And it says, Then Jesus said to them, So Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the Wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep and other sheep have, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is written by the Apostle John. Uh, if you've read the, the Gospel of John, it stands out. It's a little bit different to Matthew, Mark and Luke. It contains uh, information that is not in those three books. And this is part of that. One of the seven I am statements, or two of the seven I am statements, that John records uh, in his Gospel. John was the one, and he calls himself the Apostle Jesus loved. He, uh, you know, he has quite a reputation for himself, and I guess if you're writing a story and you're in, including yourself in that story, then you can probably pretty much put whatever you want in there. I mean, if I was to write my own gospel, I might write Phil, the handsome one, um, and uh, you know. Just, so John, uh, the apostle Jesus loved. He was an eyewitness of these of these circumstances. He was one of the very first uh, disciples, and so he's writing about his own experiences and the things. That he's seen. This is an eyewitness record of what Jesus said. You see, Jesus is now in Jerusalem and he's teaching and he's and he's just talking and he's got his disciples around him and he's got some Pharisees around them and and there's basically just a group of uh, mixed people that he's talking to at that time. He'd just been in the temple. He just healed a man that was blind and and um, they tried to stone Jesus because. He'd healed him, but he'd done it on the Sabbath because you don't want to heal someone on the wrong day. So the Pharisees got upset. They tried to stone him. It didn't work. And now we have Jesus and he's talking to this big group of people when he's sitting there and he's teaching. And this passage of Scripture really is about telling us a little bit about who Jesus is. He makes two of these I am statements. He says, I am the door, or in some translations it says, I am the gate. And in the other one he says, I am the shepherd. But more than that, he's telling us a little bit more about the cultural wars that are happening at that time and, and continue on to this day. From the beginning of time, there's been a war between two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. There's two different kingdoms at war with each other. The kingdom of darkness, which is the kingdom and, and dominion of Satan and his demons, and then the kingdom of light, which is the dominion of God and Jesus and, and the kingdom that we belong to as Christians. You know, there's two different worlds, there's two different wars, and there's two different cultures. You know, I'm really familiar with 
living and working in two different cultures because uh, I grew up in the country. And then when I moved to the city, I noticed that there are a lot of differences in culture. Uh, you know, I know you like to think that Mount Barker is country, uh, but I've got to break it to you. I'm not, a, I'm not really sure that Mount Barker is country anymore. Uh, it's kind of metro. You see, uh, you know, growing up in Sejuna, unless you have to drive a day to get to your home, that, that's country, right? So growing up in Sejuna, I mean, some of the differences that I saw, you know, in Sejuna, you wave to everyone as you drive by. You just lift one finger, sometimes two if you're enthusiastic, off the, off the steering wheel, they'll give you the one finger back. And you can tell the, the, the right finger. Um, and you can tell... <laughs> Sometimes the other one. Depends how you're driving. You can tell when you turn left at Port Augusta, along the air highway, that all of a sudden you can feel like I'm back in the country. People start waving at you again. People start smiling at you again. You know, in the city, we're not so happy about things when we drive. We just want to get there. You know, the country is a little bit different. You know, in Sejuna, uh, growing up at 12 o'clock on a Saturday, the shop's shut. You can shoot a cannon down the street and you wouldn't hit anyone. There's nothing happening in Sejuna after midday. But if you went down the street to the footy club, the Oval is packed. That's where everyone is. They all go down there and A-grade plays at about 1.30 and that place is jam-packed. You know, at about uh, lunchtime on Saturday in the city, we start waking up. Uh, that's around time to start thinking about getting out of bed and maybe uh, getting something achieved for the day. Uh, the city is different. You know, one of the things about the country is that you really don't have to worry about what takeaway you're going to have because there is only one takeaway store, (laughs) Bill's Chicken and Chips, and that's all you've got. You don't have to worry about what restaurant you're going to go to, whether it's your anniversary dinner, whether it's your birthday dinner, whether it's just a night out with the family, you're going to the pub. (laughs) That's the only restaurant in town. You know, that's the difference between, you know, sometimes we'll we'll think we've got to go out for tea tonight. Where do we go? Oh, there's too many places to choose from. Oh, let's just have a slice of toast at home. Uh, Choices are easy in in, in the country. Uh, You know, if you're trying to work out how to get the best way to get to the store, you don't have to worry about traffic. You just go down the only road uh, that is there. Uh, We call that the main street. You know, we have a main street. That's where all the shops are. You know, you don't get lost very easily. I remember my grandma came and and visited when we were living in Sejuna. This must have been like in the late 90s. And she drove down and parked at the shops and went and did whatever she needed to and then walked home. And then my grandpa said, where's the car? And so they had to go walk back and they had to walk. She'd forgotten where she'd parked the car. And they walked. It only took about two minutes. There's not many cars there, so it's fine. You know, there's cultural differences between the city and the country, but there's cultural differences between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. The kingdom of darkness is defined by theft, by death, and by destruction. The kingdom of darkness wants to take everything from you. The devil's sole ambition is to steal, to kill, and destroy. He wants to take your wealth. He wants to take your happiness. He wants to take your peace. He wants to take your hope. He wants to come against your family, your job your bank balance, and the devil will keep coming at you. You see, this scripture says the devil comes. It doesn't say the devil did come or will come. The devil comes and he keeps coming like the waves keep coming in in the ocean. You know, the devil comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. He keeps coming because that's who he is. You see, John eight forty four says he was, Jesus says, 
of the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. You know, he's not just someone who's misunderstood that maybe with a bit of counselling could walk a better path in life. To his very core and his very essence, he is evil. He is, he, he, he is a killer. He is his destruction. I was going to say personified, but that's not the right word because he's not a person. He is to his core. He, he can't stop being evil just as much as I can't stop being human because it is who I am and it is who he is. The kingdom of darkness not only wants to take everything from you, it wants to kill you, not just physically. Yes, he does physically want to see us uh, killed, but he wants to destroy us spiritually. He wants to see us uh, destroyed spiritually. He, he comes up against us and he wants to see our soul with him in the lake of fire for eternity. This is good news. Is everyone happy that I'm here today sharing you about uh, the devil? This is fantastic. We don't like to talk about the devil, but sometimes we need to know that the devil has schemes, that the devil has plans. The kingdom of darkness comes up against, it collides, it clashes with the kingdom of light. Jesus tells us that the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I came that she might have life and life abundantly. Jesus doesn't just keep coming, but he is here. He is present. He doesn't come as the devil comes like a wave at the beach. That Jesus came. He is here. He is present with us. He is our rock. He is our foundation. And we build our house on the rock so that when the waves do come, that the house will stand. Jesus tells us that he's come to give us life and life more Abundantly. That's probably better translated as super abundance. Abundance of love, abundance for, of strength for your body, of peace for your mind. Not just uh, abundantly or a little bit over the top, but in super abundance uh, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Body, soul, and spirit. God wants to bless you spiritually. He wants to see you saved. He wants to see you on your way to heaven. He wants to be in eternity with you forever. He wants to bless you physically. He wants to see you living in prosperity. This isn't prosperity teaching. This is the reality of what God wants for us. He wants you to live in prosperity and well-being. He wants you physically well. As, as Pastor Dean so eloquently shared, He wants you to walk in healing. We're not called to live in poverty and in death and, in, and, and devastation here and then life uh, in heaven, but we're called to have that what's there now. Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That means that we have healing, we have salvation, we have prosperity now here on this place in earth as we do in heaven. And Jesus describes these two kingdoms and he uses the analogy of, of the shepherd and of, and of farming. And, you know, I know a lot about farming because I did a week's work experience uh, in year 10 at a farm. And uh, I got to ride motorbikes, round up the sheep. We got to mules the sheep. If you've ever heard of that term, don't Google it. It is the worst thing possible. And I had nightmares for the rest of my life. Still dream about it. These poor little lambs. Uh, anyway. Oh. Might need to go see, 
get some counselling uh, on that. You know, I, I know a lot about farming. You know, the thing about farming is that it's changed a lot over the last 2,000 years. We think about farming now and we think about these massive farms with massive paddocks and you release hundreds of thousands of sheep in the paddock and maybe the farmer goes and checks on them, uh, maybe once or twice a year, brings them in to shear them, makes sure they've got their water trough full. But the way that farming uh, and the way that shepherds operated uh, 2,000 years ago in the time of Christ was very different. You see, the shepherd knew his, all his sheep. He would have a smaller group of sheep. He would know every single sheep. He would raise them personally. He would know them by name and he probably gave them little names like sheep number one, sheep number two, sheep number three, and so on and so forth, uh, right through to sheep 100 or whatever it is. You see, now we see large sprawling sheep stations with an impersonal farmer, but the reality is then it was a, a smaller group of sheep with a very personal shepherd. He would go and he would live with those sheep day in and day out. He would sleep with them. He would, he would be with them during the day. He'd probably have imaginary conversations with the sheep, maybe make some games with them. He had a great time with the sheep. The shepherd was someone that knew his sheep intimately. And then at night, what they would do is they'd bring all the sheep and they'd put them in the sheep pen. You see, there were thieves that would, would wander around and there were wolves and there were lions and bears at that time in, in Israel as well. And so the, sheep would bring the, the, the shepherd would bring the sheep into a place of security. It was a sheep pen that was made of stone and the gate wouldn't be there. But what would happen is the shepherd brings the sheep in, he would lie across the gate to be able to block the entrance. So anyone who wanted to get into the sheepfold needed to go through the shepherd first. You know, whether it's a wolf or a lion or a thief, they'd need to go through the shepherd first to get into that sheep pen. You need to go through the shepherd. That's why Jesus says, I am the gate or I am the door. He is the one that lies across the sheepfold to protect you as we are the sheep he is the shepherd. He is the one that lies across the gate and brings protection and brings provision. You know, this is a dark world and there is an enemy that wants to seek to destroy us. And I think that we would have to be blind not to be able to see the enemy's schemes here on earth, especially in the last few years as we've seen the pandemic roll through, as we've seen fear and anxiety rear its head, and we see different ways that the that, that this culture is transitioning away from biblical Christian values, we can see that it's the same spirit. It's the same spirit that was there during uh, when, when, when the Philistines used to worship uh, Baal. It's the same spirit that was there when the Romans used to worship their gods and the pantheon of gods. It's the same spirit that goes through the, the ages. It's outworked in a different way, but it's the same spirit. He has a plan for destruction for us as a, as a people group, but as us individually as well. But we have a shepherd who brings life and life super abundantly, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, body, soul, and spirit, abundance, not lack, not scarcity, but abundance. We have a shepherd 
that lies across the gate and is the one that protects us. He's the one that provides for us. He's the one that makes sure that we walk in pastures that are green or lays us down by the still water so that we have water to drink. He is the one that cares for us. He is the one that loves us. And in this war that we have between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, it's up to us to stay close to the shepherd. We are the sheep and Jesus is the shepherd. And today I want to look at three benefits of staying close to the shepherd. Matthew 13, verse 47, Jesus says, I sound like Darth Vader. I walked into the building for a second. Again, the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus talking, is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it up onto the shore. They sat down and sorted the good fish into the crates, but threw the bad ones away. That is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, a very uplifting passage of Scripture there for us this morning. But the reality is sometimes that we forget and we live our life with, with forgetting that we need to ha- have an eternity mindset. We need to have an eternal mindset. The reality is that as much as there's a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light, there is a heaven and there is a hell. There is a very real heaven and there is a very real hell. Sometimes we forget that hell is a real place. It's not something that's imaginary. It's not something that, that we've concocted. This is something that Jesus talked about and it is a biblical doctrine. It is a place of eternal torment. It's a place of eternal pain and suffering. It's a place separate from God, separate from His love, separate from His joy, separate from His peace, separate from His goodness and faithfulness. Hell is a very real Place. And we need to know that in our life, as much as we live our life physically here on earth, there is a destination that we go to once we leave this life and we need to make a decision about where am I going to go? Am I going to go to hell or am I going to go to heaven? And sometimes we don't talk about these things, but today I guess I am. So here we go. As much as there is a real hell, there is also a real heaven. We're a place where there's no more tears. No more pain, no more death. A place where the streets are paved with gold and the gates are made of pearl. A place where we get to be in the presence of God 24-7. A place where we get to see those that have gone before us. When I am able to pass on from this life to the next, I do it with full confidence and a surety that when I get there, I'm going to see the loved ones that have gone before me. I'm going to see my grandma and my grandpa. I'm going to see my cousin. I'm going to see all my friends that have gone before me. We know that God is a good God. We know that God desires to give us super abundance here. How much more so does He want to give us super abundance in the next life in heaven? As much as hell is a real place, heaven is a real place, a place of eternal love, eternal peace, eternal joy. John tells us in his revelation in chapter 21, he says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. 
God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, and the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. This morning we worship a God who wants to give us newness. He wants to take away our tears. He wants to take away our suffering. He wants to take away our pain. We are a God that wants to live with us forever. He wants to give us life and life in abundance. We live in a world, though, that says there's many ways to God. We live in a world that says if you believe that, then that's okay for you and you do you and I'll do me. We we live in a world where people think that if I do just enough good things in this life, that maybe it will balance out all of the bad things in my life and God will get there and he'll look at the scales and go, yeah, you've been a good person, so you get to come into heaven. But the reality is... Our salvation isn't dependent on the good works that we've done. Our dependence is dependent on the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ and our belief in Him by grace through faith you have been saved. That not of works. It's a gift of God. So today we stand here and we know that it doesn't matter if I mess up in one situation or if I do really well in another situation. My desire is to be better and be as good as I can. But the reality is my salvation isn't dependent on my works, but it's dependent on God's grace. And aren't we thankful for that this morning? Just as there is only one way into the sheepfold, through that gate, into the sheep pen, there is only one way to eternal life. Through the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus, we have salvation. I remember the day that I gave my heart to God just like it happened a few days ago. It's a defining moment in my life. It's a moment where I was in one moment saved and then I don't know what happened. I was at a Max Wilcher uh, Aboriginal Outreach Convention and then the next moment I'm lying on the floor. <clears throat> the power of God had hit me and then my grandma, God bless her, she's with, with her father in heaven. She's leaning over me and she's just praying in tongues and then all of a sudden I'm, on the floor, and I look up, and I'm ba ba ba. She get out of. I'm praying. I'm speaking in tongues. That day, I was saved, and I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I was saved, and I was given the power and authority and the anointing that I needed. You know that day that my dad was saved. My dad was an alcoholic. My dad was someone who, when my grandma visited him when he was living in Cooper Pedy, and she was there walking up the footpath with one of her one of her friends that had driven to Cooper Pedy with her in. 1973, 1972, and they're walking up the footpath and there's a young man passed out drunk and he's literally lying in the gutter drunk, passed out. And the friend says to my grandma, she says, I really pity the, the mother of that young man. And my grandma turned and said, that's my son. Thanks, Luke. And then one day they're at Clamsic, my parents, my grandparents were in Clamsic, my dad met my mum who said I go to church and dad said, well, maybe I need to go to church as well. He walked in through the doors of Clemsick like that. He was changed. His desire for alcohol left him. He never smoked again. He never swore again. Just like that, he was changed. I remember my grandpa telling me about when my grandma was saved and she'd come home and she'd been at church and she was just happy all the time. 
She was just full of joy all the time. And my, my grandpa started getting annoyed because she's so happy all the time. This went on week after week after week. And then one day he eventually said, well, I'm coming with you to find out what this is all about. Yeah. Boom, his life was never the same again. The reality is that we are saved. And when we are saved, we are changed. But the reality is that we are being saved. We are saved and we are being saved every single day. Every single day as I commit to walk this road and this, this path, then I am changed more and more into the likeness of Christ. I find my personality changing. I find the way that I speak changes. My mindsets change because as we walk this journey of salvation, God does a work of sanctification, which is a really nice way of saying changing us from the inside to become more and more like Christ. Little habits drop off, old thought patterns drop off, behavioural patterns change, the way that we think changes. We become more joyful, we carry more peace, we walk into rooms and the atmosphere changes. That is the work of salvation that happens in our life every day. There is the point of salvation where you give your heart to God, which is a defining moment in every person's life, where they step out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That is the point of salvation. But the reality is that we are all being saved every single day as the Holy Spirit does His work inside of us. Sometimes you don't notice it. But then you look back and you think, oh, when did that change? I don't remember that changing. I look at my daughter Isla and, and she's, uh, you know, she's stopped growing now. In faith I say that. She's, but you know, every time someone comes up to her, they'd say, oh, man, You've grown. You know, they haven't seen her for a few weeks or a couple of years. And they think, wow, you grew. But we don't notice it because we see her every day. And it's like that in our lives. You know, you bump into someone and you go, man, you're different. You've changed. And we go, oh, really? I don't know what's different. It's the work of God inside of us. You are saved and you are being saved. You are being saved every single day. We are the sheep and Jesus is the shepherd. Three benefits of staying close to the shepherd. First, he brings salvation. Secondly, the shepherd brings protection. Now, the shepherd would protect his flock from wolves and bears and from thieves. And we see that most uh, you know, memorably demonstrated in the story of David and Goliath, where David is the shepherd boy and he comes in before he's made king and he comes in and he sees the battle going on and he says to King Saul, I've, I've killed a lion, I've killed a bear. Who is this giant that stands before me? The shepherd is the one that brings protection. You know, as we stay close to the shepherd, the shepherd will protect us. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, For he himself said, Jesus, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You know, how many times you know, we think about our life and I could probably pinpoint three or four times in my life where I believe God's hand, His divine hand has saved me. I remember talking to my grandfather recently, only about six, nine months ago before he passed away. And he would point out three times in his life where he believes God saved him. You know, the first one was... He was a young boy. He grew up in Rosyth and he was standing at the, in the shipyards 
as a young boy. And you know when they dry dock a ship, there's those massive big holes in the ground. And he's standing there on the edge and he's leaning over to try and get a good look. And just as he starts to, you know, wobble a little bit, his dad, my great-grandfather, grabs him by the arm and pulls him back off the edge. You know, the second time that, God, that my grandfather believed God saved him was he used to, in World War II, he was training to be a Spitfighter pilot. And as, he's, as he was in Florida training, they went from England to Florida to train, he's flying and they're, they're doing Top Gun-esque sort of stuff. I think Grandpa was a bit of a maverick. And uh, he comes in and he lands the plane and the mechanic comes up to him afterwards and says, how low were you flying? And Grandpa says, why do you ask? And uh, the mechanic says, because there's grass seeds in your air intake. That's low. He had no idea. God saved him on that day. The third time that he got saved, uh, the, the, the hand of God saved him, was he was in with his training group and they were in Canada. There was about 30 pilots and they were just about to be deployed. And they did a, a, a march through the snow, up a hill, through the snow and the sleet. And the way that he describes it is a lot more better than I can. But it was freezing and he comes down and he caught pneumonia. So his, his, uh, his group all went out and got deployed. And they, they were fighting Spitfighters uh, for the RAF. And he had to stay behind because of his pneumonia and then get deployed with the next group. Anyway, the war ends. Grandpa never ended up getting deployed um, because at that moment, you know, the, the war finished. And then six months later, he's standing on the train station in Edinburgh and he sees one of his mates that he trained with. And he, and he goes up to him, one of his squadron, and he says, hey, it's good to see you. And he's, I don't know what this guy's name was, but let's call him Tom. He says, um, he says yeah, it's great to see you, Ian. He says, I'm, and Ian says, my grandpa says, but what happened to, to, to this guy? Oh, no, he, he didn't make it. What happened to this guy? Oh, no, he didn't make it. And he went through and listed all 30 guys from the squadron and not one of them survived the war. You know, because of my grandpa's pneumonia at the time, which was a bad thing, we don't wish pneumonia on anyone, uh, it saved his life. It saved his life. My grandpa can point, and you might be able to point to times in your life and there might be times in our lives where we're sitting there with pneumonia or whatever that is for us and we're thinking, what is God doing to us at the moment? But at that point in time, he's actually saving us from something else. You know, how many times has God saved us and we haven't even known about it? How many times have we been in a rush? We get stopped at a red light and we think, ah, God, what's going on? I need green lights. You know, I want the, the God that gives me green lights all the way down North Terrace. And we're sitting there and we don't know that that red light is actually saving us from a drunk driver. How many times has God protected us and we haven't even known about it? That little whisper in your mind and in your ear that says, not to me, but maybe to some of you, don't forget to go in and turn off your hair straightener. How many times has God whispered something in our ear that has saved us or maybe saved us from destruction? That whisper that tells you, no, that's not right. Maybe you should get that checked by the doctor. You know, how many times has God saved us? You know, the battles that we don't know about that are being fought in the heavenlies. You know, there is maybe the spirit of gossip or the spirit of control that tries to come against you or come against this church to ruin you and your reputation. The spirit of poverty that wants to keep you broke. The spirit of depression and anxiety. And God is always just batting them away, batting them away. The Lord is the one that does the fighting. The shepherd is our protector. And it's our job 
to stay near to him. You know, I remember when Sarah and I, we were newly married. We would have been, uh, you know, maybe 24 or 25 and we, we did our big international trip. We went to Paris. I thought you, you probably thought I was going to say Kangaroo Island or something. Uh, no, we went to Paris. We spent a week in Paris and then a couple of weeks in, uh, in the United Kingdom and got to visit family and people that I'd never met. But I remember getting off the plane in Paris uh, at 5.30 in the morning. We caught the train to what they call the Gare du Nord, which is the northern train station. It's, it's, um, it's amazing how they came up with that name. And uh, it's the train station in the north of the city. And we get off, the, we get off the, the train and we're just trying to catch a bus to our B&B. And no, we didn't speak the language. No one understood us. Uh, it, was just complete, it was completely foreign. You know, no one could help us. No one could talk to us. And we ended up fumbling our way and finding the right bus stop. And we, we ended up getting on the bus and it was going in the wrong direction. We didn't realise at the time. And then at the end, we get to the end of the bus line and we're just sitting there with our luggage not having slept for two days, and, uh, and the bus driver comes up to us. He doesn't speak a word of English, and she's saying, excusez-moi, monsieur, uh, parlez-vous, I don't know, just speaking her French to us, and we're like, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> we have no idea. We were, we were just like uh, deer in a headlight, and then this lady saw us in our confusion and jumped on the bus and was able to translate for us. You know, we were walking around Paris, and we were... Uh, the next day, and, and we're walking around, you know, visiting all the, all the sites. And I'm just, it's the first time I've really left South Australia. And I'm in a foreign place. I'm in this place that I just didn't speak the language. And I began to feel after a couple of days a little bit like insecure. What if something happens to us over here? I don't know the hospitals. I mean, there's no Medicare here. There's no, I don't know, what, what would I do if, if I needed to go to the police, you know? And I started to get a little bit worrying. And then one day we were walking by and I saw the Australian consulate. And I saw the, the coat of arms with the emu and the kangaroo. And, you know, I didn't go in or I didn't do anything, but immediately I felt at peace. Immediately I knew that, that if anything was to go wrong, if anything was to happen to me, I could go there. That's the Australian consulate. I got my passport. They'll look after me in theory, in hope, uh, you know, they'd protect me. And it's the same with us in our walk for God. We need to feel safe and secure. We need to stay close to the shepherd in the same way that seeing that Australian consular gave me peace. Uh, being and walking alongside the shepherd and staying close to the shepherd will give you peace and it will give you protection. David says in Psalm 18 verse 1, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. Sometimes we live our lives in such a way that it puts distance between us and the shepherd. We look at things online that we shouldn't be looking at. We entertain relationships that we shouldn't be entertaining. We spend money in a way that we shouldn't be spending money. We live outside of the kingdom rules and parameters and the culture that is set. Sometimes we stop coming to church. We stop reading. We stop uh, reading the Word of God. We stop praying and we begin to live our life away from the shepherd. But we need to come back and live close to the shepherd. In the shepherd there is salvation and in the shepherd there is protection. We need to stay close to the shepherd. We need to be 
praying regularly. We need to be in church regularly. We need to be listening to worship when we drive rather than 5AA. Sorry, Ryan. You know, every now and then maybe you can switch on and listen to the radio. But, you know, one of the things I love and my kids don't love is I love listening to worship everywhere I drive. And I've got 1996 By Your Side, the best Hillsong album ever created. I've got an album by the guy that by the name of Terry McCallum. Has anyone ever heard of Terry McCallum? I just drive along and I just sing and I just worship God even when I don't feel like it and it fills my spirit. It draws me closer to God. We need to stay close to the shepherd. And I'm going to finish up in just a moment. So Luke, if you could join me, that would be fantastic. You are the sheep. We are the sheep. He is the shepherd. He brings salvation. He brings protection And he also brings provision. Jesus says in John 10 verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. If we stay close to the shepherd, he leads us to new pastures. He supplies all that we need. How many times have you been driving in the country and there's a massive paddock full of green grass and then there's one sheep that's got his head through the fence and he's sticking his head through the fence trying to get to the grass on the other side. The sheep thinks that he knows better and he thinks that he can find the grass that's better on the other side. But the reality is the shepherd knows the best pasture for the sheep. So too does Jesus guide our ways and guide our paths. He is our provider. Matthew 6, Jesus says in verse 25, Therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Therefore, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? How will I pay my school fees? How will I pay the electricity bill? How will I get my car serviced? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows the things that you need. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Sometimes we take upon ourselves to be our provider and we move over here worrying about what job we need to get or what course I need to study or or, or what do I need to do to make sure I'm the provider. I remember clearly uh, there was a moment when we were married and I was, we were lying in bed one night, the kids were asleep and there was a bang outside. And I remember thinking at that point, I am now the dad. I'm the one that has to investigate the bang. Uh, you know, there's no... My, if I called my dad, he'd have to drive nine hours just to be able to come and investigate it uh, all the while while I lie there petrified. You know, there's a moment when you realise that I am the provider. I carry the weight of that for my family. I am the protector. And that can cause us some worry and it can cause us some concern. And I start to think about what do I need to do? What extra credit card do I need to take out? What personal loan do I need to get? What job promotion do I need to work and fight for? And all the time that we pursue the things that would, that, that would provide for our family and provide and, and make us the person that can protect and provide, we're moving away from the shepherd. 
You see, the shepherd is the one that will lead you by still waters. The shepherd is the one that will lead you to the pastures that you need. Our job, although it is wise to be able to uh, continue to look for the things that will advance us and make us uh, more Christ-like, we need to take responsibility for our family dads. We need to be responsible parents, but we need to remember to stay close to the shepherd. The shepherd is the one that will lead us. The shepherd is the one that will guide us. You know, ultimately, yes, I am the provider, but Jesus is my provider. The shepherd is the one who leads us and guides us. Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory. You know, sometimes what we do is we move away from the shepherd. Not only are we taking on the responsibility of being the provider, we're taking all the weight that comes with it. The worry, the anxiety, the depression, the stress, and everything that we carry because we've moved away from the shepherd. You know, I believe that when you walk with the shepherd and what Jesus tells us is that He is our provider and as we walk close to the shepherd, He lifts our worry. He lifts, he lifts those burdens of anxiety and He becomes the provider. You know, I remember one day many years ago and sitting there and trying to work out how I'm going to make all this work. You know, you've got X amount of dollars, X amount of bills, and you're trying to stretch it all and work out, you know, do I feed the kids or do I put petrol in the, in the car? Do I, you know, what bill do I pay first? And ultimately I said, well, God, you're the shepherd. You're the provider. You're the one who will carry me and lead me. You know, when I'm growing up in my family, I had my dad and my dad always had the right answers. My dad always had the great ideas. But now my dad, you know, he still, he still does have good ideas, but he's not around. He's in Sejuna. You know, I'm, a, I'm a man. I'm, a, I'm someone who carries, you know, I'm a man or we're a woman of God. We, we're people with responsibility. But the reality is that God is our provider. He is our shepherd. He is always there for us. And when you get to a point where worry and anxiety begins to take over, maybe it's time for us to step back into the presence of the shepherd to step back close to Him because He is good. He is a good Father. He will watch over you. He will protect you. He will lead you and He will guide you. You know, this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed across this place, I've been talking about salvation. I talked about heaven and hell when you might be here today and you don't know whether you're going to heaven or whether you're going to hell, whether you were saved walking in the grace of God, you may not know what your future holds, but today I want to pray for you and so that you would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are saved and you're on your way to heaven. If that's you this morning, maybe you've never been saved, maybe you've never been in a relationship with God, or maybe you once were and you've walked away. With every head bowed and every eyes closed in this place, I want to give you an opportunity to meet your Creator. I want to pray for you and lead you in a prayer. We're not going to do anything weird. We're not going to do anything too wonderful. We're just going to pray together. But to know who I'm praying for this morning, would you do me a favor and just lift your hand high? Would you lift your hand high to the sky so I know who I'm praying for? Is there anyone here this morning? As I look across this place, from the left to the right, 